I want to say hello to our listeners. This is Marcia Epstein on lawrencehits.com, and this is Talk With Me. And we are recording when it's officially summer now of 2017, and it's actually quite beautiful in Lawrence, Kansas. Hope it is wherever you are. And today is one of my shows with a poet, and I have to start with a shout out to another poet who is Danny Kane. Danny is the reason that I got to experience some poetry from the person who's my guest today. And that's what inspired me to say, I would surely like to have this person on talk with me and let other people in this listening audience hear her words as well. So that's pretty exciting. Danny is currently based in Lawrence, Kansas has wonderful poetry, a new chapbook out, a great website where you can find out what he's doing. I first heard his words at Taproom Poetry Series, which is one of those cool things that happens in Lawrence, Kansas, once a month, not always in the summer, hosted by, another shout out, Jim McCrary and Megan Kaminsky, who do so much wonderful writing on their own and then host this monthly thing at the Tap Room at 8th of New Hampshire in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. I heard Danny there and enjoyed his work so much. And I do say enjoy. He is a poet who uses humor in addition to social commentary, uh, personal experience, all that good stuff. Um, so it, it was delightful to, to hear him in one of the first area readings that I actually went to. So today my guest is Mercedes Lucero, who I will guess from the introduction Danny gave her at the Raven bookstore for his check book release. I would say Mercedes is not only an, an amazingly talented poet, but also a very good friend of Danny Kane. And so that's a pretty high set of recommendations. Welcome Mercedes. Hello. Thank hey. you for having me. Thanks for being here. It's so cool because I hear a lot of poets and I realize that for all of us, we have certain things that really resonate for us in ways. And that's not a the question of this other person isn't talented. It's just that this person's work doesn't speak to me. But I heard you at the mic at the Raven and I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. flattered. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we get to do this. Um, and I, I had you send me a little bit of information, but I also want you to, in your own words, Tell our listeners a little bit about you. Um, and then, of course, I'll be asking you snoopy questions, too. <laughs> well, I'm currently, um, this is the boring part. <laughs> I'm currently in my third year of the PhD creative writing program at KU. I entered in fiction. So I am now exploring other genres. I think it's really given me the space to write in different genres and just kind of push myself outside what I thought were my writing limits. Um, love Lawrence mm -hmm. so much. And also really love, there's a really strong literary community here. Yeah. So I think it's really helped me kind of blossom and like take risks. There are lots of communities here in writing, which is one of those things that I find really interesting. And I've seen ebbs and flows even in the, the time since 2014 when I really became aware that kind of a separate niches, separate groups, these things going on in different parts of the Lawrence community. And then there was more kind of pulling together and events that brought together people of really different backgrounds in terms of some who are more academic, some who right. were street poets, some who were competing in slams in the Midwest, you know, different styles of poetry and people were kind of coming together in some of the same events. And then people kind of have, have moved back away a little bit. This is the way I experience it. I think sometimes that happens for, for personal reasons that somebody who's been kind of a hub for a certain set of poets maybe has to step back for personal reasons and and do those things that they need to do for, for self, which don't involve um, hurting that, that as, as we tend to say, hurting those cats in terms of what it's like to, to try to get a bunch of poets moving in the same direction for events and stuff. You know? Not a, not a uh, criticism, just a reality. <laughs> 
I do. I still have one very, very dear to me about, which is called Words Save Lives. And that's always on World Suicide Prevention Day, September 10th. So that, that's my, my reminder of, yeah, it is a bit of a challenge to get a whole bunch of different artists in the same room on a schedule at the same date. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're a little separated, but we're also so connected in the area. And I don't know, as a doctoral student, how much time you, you have had thus far to sort of explore what's going on, even in Kansas City and Topeka. Um, lots of wonderful poetry and Salina and all these different places around here. Some really powerful poets who are doing things together, and it's it's really great to see. So, I don't have a lot of time. Uh -huh. I do. I have more time in the summer. Uh huh. Um, but yesterday I just came back from Kansas City in the Crossroads District uh -huh. for short order poetry. Uh -huh. And it was just an evening of typing up poems for strangers. Ah. And I love that kind of thing. I uh -huh. love being able to put like poetry or something in a public space. Uh -huh. I think that's what makes Lawrence really cool, right? Because you have the university and you have public mm -hmm. and there are a lot of spaces where those two meet and mm -hmm. some interesting things happen yeah. so is is poetry you said that's not what brought you to your writing program no so tell us a little bit about that you and poetry <laughs> since my relationship with poetry. yeah well i received my mfa in chicago also for fiction okay it's funny because when people ask me you know, what kind of writing do you do? That's always the first question. Uh -huh. And I have started recently to hesitate because uh -huh. I do write, I started writing fiction, but I think I more so have begun to find genres that better fit the image I'm trying to like capture mm -hmm. or like the tone or feeling. And I was finding that fiction wasn't really the space that was allowing that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if I consider myself a poet. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I um, but I do consider myself a writer mm -hmm. and more increasingly a hybrid writer, mm -hmm. cross-genre writer. And sometimes that comes out in poetry, what mm -hmm. people may call. <laughs> I like that because I, th I always think it's interesting how people define themselves. Yeah. And then sometimes I, I think about, I think about a writer that I had um, who identifies as a fiction writer and he was reading this segment from his book and, and I'm hearing it and experiencing it as poetry. And I comment on that. And he took that as huge high praise because he saw himself as a fiction writer without the whatever he attributes to what poetry is. And I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. And of course, there are people who would say that their poetry is prose poetry and yeah. lots of different ways that people use poetry. And those who talk about, well, their poetry is really meant to be read on the page or their poetry is really meant to be heard on the stage or, you know, on a street corner or whatever it is. It's, mm -hmm. it's I guess that blending makes sense. That's sort of part of what's happening in general, I guess, is trying not to be limited, trying not to be saying it's either this or that, you know, lots yeah. of merging of things of all types. It's very interesting. So you don't consider yourself a poet at this moment, but you do write some poetry. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I tend to write a lot of prose poems, mm -hmm. prosetry, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, my writing tends to be, I do also consider myself a very lyrical writer. Even in my fiction, I'm very in tune to how things sound. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that translates well when I'm working on something that is more poetic or mm -hmm. poetry-like. Mm -hmm. So does that mean as you're working on pieces that reading them out loud is part of how you 
work with them before they're finally closed. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yes. Over and over. <laughs> and you can tell, you can tell if it doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm noticing like the rhythm and mm -hmm. I think more so in fiction, especially when the story is following a kind of plot, I'm really kind of in tune to what's happening in the story. Does the rhythm match the content? Ah, right. I, do you think that's something I do more so in when I'm writing fiction than in poetry? Yeah. So how long have you been writing? Hmm. Let's see. Well, probably since I was like six or seven. Oh, right. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I used to make these little, I used to write these stories and use Christmas wrapping paper and tape it up for little page numbers. Um, yeah, that was kind of my, my space. That's very cool. See, I'm thinking about, okay, so uh, on my table here, I have this section, this selection, excuse me, of Poems for All. Are you familiar with Poems for All? No. Okay, so, so as you talk about your little Christmas wrapping paper, storybooks that you created the story of poems for all is is kind of like that although um robert hansen who is the creator of poems for all um is not did not do this at six or seven but he worked in a place where there was publishing and there printing and there were pieces that were always left over you know like the, the cuts off of the pieces and so rather than have those be wasted he started using those as the covers for little poetry books. And he started spreading the word. And now he has poem poets from all over the world who submit poetry to him. And these little books are created and they're called Poems for All. And Poems for All, his, his sort of motto is to scatter like seeds. Mm -hmm. And so his idea is to continue to have them available free so that people, people, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who says Richard Robert, Richard Robert Hansen, that's his big name. Um, it would be great to be able to help support you in this, you know, even little bits, you know, like if I can ask you for some and also send you some money for the expenses, I feel better and that helps you do your work in the future. So at some point there'll be that, but at any rate, he does these uh, with the idea that people will distribute them. And so I'm going to say that at our local Raven bookstore, there is a little basket that's sometimes in the window, sometimes by the cash register. And I'm going to credit Jameson Bales for the one who was the one who probably first brought some of those to the Raven. These are great. These are, yeah, yeah. So, so Mercedes is looking at my little collection of poems for all, which is I, I have a set of favorites, but I haven't been been I haven't been exposed to the more recent ones. So so my time period is probably about a year old and there's been a lot published since then. Anyway, so planting the seed that Mercedes Luceros perhaps would submit a poem to Poems for All. Wow. <laughs> Something to look for in the future. <laughs> I just found a little Poems for All book about a David Bowie. Yeah. And I'm really excited about that. <laughs> a little side note there, because. Publishing is a whole other thing, like oh, how gosh. people get published. And, and that reminder, what, what's that been like for you? Publishing. <sighs> I think more so now I've developed a kind of system. Publishing for me involves a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of time. <laughs> um, and I think working on the other side, like working as an editor. So I've been a staff reader. I've worked at Triquarterly as an intern. Now I'm working for the graduate student-run literary magazine at University of Kansas called Features. Uh -huh. um, I worked as assistant fiction editor and now I'm working as nonfiction editor. But when you're on the other side, you realize how, how kind of, it's all determined by chance. <laughs> It, there's no real set system. Um, working for sort of a bigger magazine, a lot of the pieces we published were solicited. So when you start to see the 
what really gets taken from the slush pile, it usually is readers scanning 20, 30 stories and one happens to reach this particular person uh, and that's why it gets sent up the mm -hmm, chain ladder. Mm -hmm. So I think knowing that, I've been a lot more relaxed about projections and just continuing to put stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many poets who, who will remind people it takes a lot of submission, which is such a weird word. <laughs> you have to submit your poem to a lot of places. Your, yes. your poems, your writing, whatever kind, knowing that there will be a lot of rejections. Yes. And it takes doing that to get to the publication, you know, right. that, that you just keep doing that, keep sending your work out. Some people talk about working on their poetry every day, and sometimes that work is about sending work out for consideration. And sometimes it's about writing and you know different things that people do, but that it that writing does take persistence. <laughs> so much persistence. And I think I've learned I'm still learning how to be patient. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think one story, it took around 30, 33 rejections. I counted um before it was published in a magazine that I'm really proud of. Uh-huh. And on my spreadsheet, this is a very minor note, but I feel like it's very important. I used to put rejected uh -huh. next to each one that was rejected when I went in and updated everything. But now I don't put that word because uh -huh. it feels very negative. Uh -huh. And so now I put wasn't a good fit. All right. And I think that helps. I think it's about like changing your mindset. It wasn't a good fit for this magazine uh -huh. at this time. Uh-huh. And you also, before we, you said that specifically, there's there's a component of luck, I think, from what you've said. That a little bit. Lots of, lots of work is being sent to publishers of different journals, small presses, whatever. And so it's getting the right person looking at it who really says, oh, when somebody else, it might not have been the right day for them to, to be inspired by that particular piece of so exactly. persistence and having that positive attitude that <laughs> it's not necessarily a good fit, which I think is an important thing for life. You know, there are a lot of things that we do and we might do really well, but we may not be the one who's going to be the right match for somebody who needs whatever that service is, you know. Right. Um, and so that doesn't mean we're not talented. It just means it's not the right fit. Not the it right has to fit. be mutual. Yeah. <laughs> I've really latched on to that. Phrase. I like it. I like it. And it's, it's very accurate. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and also when you said it, you said, you know, at that time even, because things change. You know, right. that's one of the things that I love about things that well, I, I love reading. I will put that out of there. I have friends who love films. I don't love films in the way that I love reading. <laughs> So I'm just putting that out there because I, I, and I love, and I know this is true of other art, but I, but I love how sometimes reading something again at a different time, yes. it has a whole different layer, layers of meanings mm -hmm. because personally and out in the world, so much has changed, you know, and, and those pieces that really stand up to that test of, you know, they have so much relevance now, even though they were written 10 years ago or 100 years ago, whatever. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the themes, if there's themes that you're really working with right now, or, or is there is there sort of a something that would, would identify what your most current writing interests are, not by genre, but by, you know, that theme is the best word I can pick up right now. Yeah. So... I don't generally have an overall theme that mm -hmm. I work around, but currently I am working on a, it's shaping up to be a possible book or chapbook publication mm -hmm. that I am calling Stereometry. Um, I'm not sure really how I came upon that phrase. But I was so enchanted by its definition. So stereometry is the art and study 
of measuring solid bodies. And I think that I really just became so obsessed with that phrase. And that's usually how any writing project starts for me. I get a little bit obsessed about a word or a phrase or a moment. Um, this current writing project tends to, I think a lot of people would call it poetry, um, but I'm working with some themes of mental illness and I'm trying to do it in the form of a math textbook. And it has taken a lot of variations, um, but that's my current, my current project. Do you have something from that project that you would be comfortable sharing? I do. That's a little premature. Cool. Yeah. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to, and, and to have the experience of what it is you've just talked about. Yeah, of course. So I'm going to read a little, I guess I could call it a prose poem. And this is part of the series titled Key Concepts, which sort of recur throughout um, the book and set up a new chapter. <clears throat> and this is the first one. Survival is mostly silence, but I learned this slowly. My friend killed herself at the start of the new year, and at first, I think survival is mostly like never knowing the gun was missing from the cabinet because there was never a reason to check. But months later, when we whisper it wasn't intentional at a relative's funeral, I begin to think it looks more like that, more like phrases we whisper to ourselves even when we aren't certain we believe them. Somewhere else, it is midwinter at some other time, and I am on the phone with someone who is telling me they do not want to live. Even now, I cannot remember what I said. Maybe it was something like, there will be a time when it does not hurt so wildly, but even that sounds inappropriate. Survival is sometimes silence, and all words begin to unravel around me. Instead, I learned to speak in geometric patterns. So tell us a little bit about that. So about a few years ago, um, I had a very hard year. And within a short span of time, I lost people who were very close to me. Um, a few people survived suicide and a few people died by suicide. And I didn't really know how to process that. And I felt really helpless. Um, and I felt nearly everything that happens in my life, I always process through my writing. Um, but I couldn't write about it and I couldn't, I didn't talk about it. And so I was kind of in this space where I didn't really have like language to express my emotions. Um, and so it's been a long time working through trying to write about it mostly for myself and the idea coming upon that phrase stereometry like how do we measure bodies in space how are we moving through the world so i really became kind of in cap i just became captured by that idea and the idea of a math textbook was really interesting to me because i mean math you have answers, it's straightforward. There are a logistical set of steps that you take, there's sequences, things make sense. And to try to sort of merge 
this completely nebulous space of what it is to be human and merge that with something that has a clear set of direction was really interesting to me. So that's kind of what I'm working with right now. And so my reaction is, sounds impossible. <laughs> I think it does sound a little bit impossible, but I think that's the important, I think that's important for me to keep in mind. Uh -huh. That there isn't, there's not going to be a sort of like, okay, I figured it out, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think it really is about the process, I think, for me right now. I mean, years later, writing about this moment that mm -hmm. happened, these moments that happened. I think the impossibility is part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know that you were going to share that particular poem, of course. I don't know. Well, you didn't know when you arrived here that you were going to share that. I didn't. I feel no. like I should have had a warning. <laughs> no, no, no. A it's not that, warning. but what, where I'm headed is that, you know, as, as we talked about before we were on air, a lot of my work is with suicide prevention, and that includes suicide bereavement support. And so from personal experience with suicide loss, as well as with this, this honor that I have of working with people with that experience, I know that often people long for the formula mm -hmm. of how do I get from the experience of this loss to being myself, whatever that means. And there is no absolute formula. The formula, yes. <laughs> I remember talking to a dad who was a surgeon. He lost his son to suicide. And he said, I am used to seeing the problem fixing it, knowing that the outcome is going to happen in these ways. It's very precise what we do in surgery. And now I have, my son has died of suicide, and I don't know how to deal with a situation when there's not this, this absolute path to whatever recovery looks like, healing, you know, being able to, to live in what feels like a normal way, which at the beginning of loss, we may think there's never going to be anything that feels normal. You know, who knows what we think. So that that was my reaction to to the impossibility of, of having having that clear formula related to things that we experience on an emotional basis. Not not that it's that it's wrong to try, and I think for people to hear your your journey is going to help other people with whatever their journeys are. When I heard your poem start with, you know, silence, it's like I kind of thought, oh, okay, but it needs to not stay in silence. And yeah. that's exactly what you described. It can't stay in silence. It can't. And I think <clears throat> I'm also, so part of my reading list also for my PhD, I look at a lot of how writers are responding to some kind of collective trauma. Mm -hmm. And it really is interesting to think about, especially these moments of trauma, you don't really have language to describe what it is that is happening, mm -hmm. or it feels a little <clears throat> inaccessible. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to some kind of language or, um, sort of filling it in mm -hmm. with language later, mm -hmm. right, is part of the process of mm -hmm. healing. Yes, it is for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it looks different for different people, right. but you're exactly right. It's, it, yeah, it's overwhelming and there aren't words that describe it and then what do you do with that? But in my heart, I know that, that we do best when we work on how to clarify it to ourselves and to others what our experience is. It's the stuff that we keep buried inside that grows in harm to us, you know? Shame is the word that comes up a lot when people aren't ready, able, willing, comfortable, safe to share things and shame magnifies pain and, you know, whatever multiples it's, you know, and so it's like, that's, that's why I get back to 
why I really appreciate being able to hear other people's words, whether it's poetry or whatever kind of writing. And when people are able to share that, you know, in print for other people, and, and I, I know I say this all the time, but man, when you have the opportunity to hear the writer speak it and then also be able to have the words on the page to be able to reflect on it more slowly, that to me is, is the best. And it's, it's a huge gift to people. You know, in, in, in my work, one of the things that we struggle with is we don't want anybody to feel forced to share their hard experiences and their journey to a better place when for them that that is dangerous in whatever kinds of ways, you know. On the other hand, when there are people who can share those experiences and that here I am now and here are the things in my life that are really good and I'm really glad to be here, then other people who haven't been able to express, communicate, get any kind of validation suddenly go, okay, she has walked this walk and she's living through it and she's writing about it. And if she can speak these words that I know about, then maybe I can get through this as well. Mm, that's that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah, it's huge. It's really huge. So thank you for it. the huge task that you're undertaking <laughs> with this idea of the, the tie-in with the mathematical textbook model too you know, how, how things affect us emotionally. It's really interesting too, because when I first, I didn't write about it for years. Yeah, when I first tried to um, write about it, I wasn't ready to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and tried to write fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there was a certain level of, hesitancy on my part of yeah being a bit uncomfortable with sharing it felt especially when you're sharing sort of these <clears throat> nonfiction or essays or things that are very personal feels a little bit like you're giving yourself a little bit to the world mm -hmm. or to an audience you are a lot and that is pretty <laughs> terrifying yeah yeah so yeah it's a work in progress yeah. a very slow Yes. Well, yeah, it has to be something that you can tolerate is the word I'm going to use. It doesn't sound very eloquent, but it has to be bearable for you to be able to share it. You know, it can't be too raw. So a friend of mine went was in a writer's workshop that I should probably know what it was, some fancy place in New York last year. And when one of the things that, that she came away with and I apologize because I don't remember the name of the writer who said it either, but it was basically write from your scars, not from your wounds. You know, that, that you have to be a certain place in mm -hmm. the healing to be able to really write it without it being devastating. And, and I think that's true in our communication in general, that, that we have to have a lot of safety when things are very intense for us. Yes, we need to communicate them, but, but we also need to say, you know you don't get my story <laughs> i don't have to share it with you but you are my dear friend and you know me and i trust you and i can tell you these things you know or my you know therapist if it's a good therapist whatever but i mean that we get to choose who we who we tell things to and i think that's really important wow i had no idea we'd be talking about this and i think maybe you didn't either sorry about that and listeners that the message is we really do get through things we all are going to have hardship in our life some of it's going to be by mistakes we make some of it's going to be bad luck you know there are lots of different ways it happens and and we learn as we go through life how to walk through those experiences and how we are enriched as people in the long run we really do become better people because we understand things that we didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. And we become that compassionate person who notices somebody else's words and expression and say, how are you really doing today? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, hey, how are you fine? Thinking, Bye. <laughs> we're gonna take a little break here because we're about halfway through the hour and hear from a couple of the local Lawrence, Kansas businesses. That's monsterlawrencehits.com. And then we're gonna be right back 
we're going to be talking more and hopefully hearing some more words from Mercedes Lucero, the writer who has joined me today. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein, and my guest today is writer Mercedes Lucero. And we are talking about as I say, the neighborhood that we live in, the neighborhood of art and mental health, <laughs> that intersection, <laughs> because that's real life. To me, the best art is about real life experiences and not just narrating them, but communication that really resonates with us with our different experiences. And obviously that's what's really important to you as well. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Some of the people I talk to wouldn't say it as, as directly as you are, but it's a big project that you're working on right now which is very cool and i think even even now um it's been a project that i sort of started working on more heavily at the beginning of the year mm -hmm. but i did come to a kind of realization that i'm gonna put this away for a little mm -hmm. while mm -hmm. um because i think Writing can be, especially writing about these topics that are very personal, sometimes it's good to step away. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes it takes time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing that slowly, which is why I say, I think it'll be a long project. Yeah. And that makes sense. <laughs> you know, that's, that's doing it at the pace that works for you because it has to work for you. You know, it's, it's not... And I, and I think this is a life thing as well. When we're trying to figure out what meaning we make and how we continue our journeys after hard things have happened or we've experienced hard things, you know, we, we need to do it at our own pace. We need to do it. We break sometimes, you know, that's very true too. We need to take care of ourselves. We, it, it doesn't work to just immerse ourselves and then suddenly it's all going to be figured out. Um, as an ongoing process. There may be moments of that, but it's not yeah. like the whole thing. We have real life to do and, and, and we need to take care of ourselves and we have responsibilities. It's like when people sometimes marvel at, you know, well, how, how do people work as firefighters or whatever? And it's like, well, because when they're doing that work, their training, their knowledge is that they focus on the work that they're doing, not on their reactions to it, you know? And so we can't always focus on our reactions to things um, and still be able to, to do the living that we need to do in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been writing for a long time. You've, you've well, uh, writing seriously yeah. for maybe five or six years. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's cool that you have chosen to do your academic work in different institutions. Because to me, that reflects you're also getting into different environments, different influences of different faculty and mm -hmm. communities, and that there's going to be a richness to your work because of those different environments that you've been in. And I hope that's been your experience. It's been good, not just like, I didn't go back there because I hated it. <laughs> no, yeah. And by, at this point, it seems like I've been in school forever. Yeah. But... Um, I went to a very small um, liberal arts college in Missouri, Missouri Western State University, and went to Northwestern in Evanston um, because some of my favorite writers work there. And now I am in at a public university mm -hmm. at the University of Kansas. And I think all of those experiences have offered something different for my writing. Mm -hmm. So at my very small liberal arts college, I had a really close mentorship um, with the staff. And um, at Northwestern, I mean, I was able to work with people that I had only dreamed about uh -huh. working with. And yeah. And at Lawrence, here at the University of Kansas, and especially, it feels like a very Lawrence thing, but the sense of community here and um, within the creative writing group at Kansas at KU. That's really been the thing that has been carrying me here. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are really important, but yeah, each one has kind of sort of offered me something. And are you teaching in terms of what you're doing in your program at this point? 
Yeah. So I just got done with my first year of teaching mm -hmm. at KEO, just the basic comp classes. Mm -hmm. So English 101 and English 102, which was what I really would love to be teaching is creative writing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's been a challenge and a good challenge for me to uh, teach, especially students who aren't, English is not their their major or a lot of the times their interest, um, to teach them what they can do with writing. Mm -hmm. Which is so important. So important. You know, even, you know, people are like, oh, I don't have to write much. It's like, well, everybody has to write some. You just do, even if you're just counting your social media posts. And, you know, that, that being able to communicate clearly is really a helpful thing. And, and I get back to being able to write for oneself. You know, people who say, you know, I'm never going to put work out there for anybody else. But there are times when being able to journal or maybe they don't even call it journaling, but just, you know, write some stuff about my day, you know, whatever they want to call it. That can be so helpful in sorting out some of the stuff that's spinning around in our hearts and heads, you know. So writing is a huge thing. And, and I know that not everybody grows up in an environment where reading and writing are valued, you know. And so they get to the big public university and they have to do this. Like, oh, no. <laughs> but maybe they realize this is pretty cool. <laughs> and I think for me, it's been a little bit of trying to meet them where they're at uh -huh. or trying to meet them on their level. So uh -huh. we do look at social media uh -huh. or memes. Uh-huh and how they translate across these different social media platforms. Well, how are you gonna communicate in a Facebook post uh -huh. versus like a meme or uh -huh. a poster uh -huh. or a podcast? Uh -huh. um, and I have had students do as their essay a podcast. Uh -huh. And I think sort of allowing them to have these creative, right? That an essay or composition or writing doesn't necessarily have to look like a five page, right? Uh -huh essay um that communication and writing can look plenty different ways uh-huh and i'm one of those people who actually likes to sometimes write pen on paper to people in my life you know mm. I'm, I'm my husband was teasing me he's like you're keeping the postal service in business <laughs> you know because i have i have a friend who's unfortunately in jail in kansas city has been since the first of the year. This court date is not until next February. So we write every week, you know, it's it's a way that we can stay in touch. And and I can at least, you know, kind of know that I can be part in a limited way of his support through that experience. And so writing in that particular example is essential. But but there's also just the sweetness of Sending to a dear friend, my friend Melissa in Boston, sending you know, a card and, and handwritten notes about things that are going on, and you know, getting that back in kind. And and I know that's not what most people do, but I think it's it's a really special thing when people actually realize what it means to them when they get to experience that thing on paper. You know, there's something really intimate about it, uh -huh. and even just receiving. I mean, at least for me, like just seeing their strokes or their handwriting uh -huh. and knowing either the time or that was like a moment where they sat down to write this thing to you. And uh -huh. that's really intimate and special. And I think people still do it. Uh -huh. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really good thing. And I, and I, and I also think yeah, you might try it. You might even like it if you don't usually do it. And if you're already doing it, good for you. <laughs> it is a real treat. It's a gift. Because it's also that thing about we don't have as much tangible documentation of our lives. Mm. You know, like um, we may have, a, a, you know, an online trail that goes. But but in terms of, you know, is there something that you can just pick up and say, oh, yeah, we don't print photographs as often as people did. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. we have them on our technology. I have um, pictures that I love looking at and I might share, but you know, I, I can't remember the last time I actually had a picture 
made went to know? go get filmed yeah or yeah. even you know the card from my phone like you know print mm -hmm. these photos mm -hmm. i haven't even been doing that so so it's an interesting thing to think well so how's that going to work for us to, to share experiences i have a friend i don't know if you've met um julie Unruh, who's a writer and uh, lives in lawrence and julie experienced a terrible car crash when she was in her late teens i think um, and she lost a, a lot of memory um, and she will say her poetry and her photographs are her memory mm -hmm. you know from before that time and even something that is still really important to her to do you know an ongoing way so you know it's like yeah we we need to, to think about that sometimes I do, yeah, and I, I I do value that. And journaling is something that I don't think that I could live without. And uh -huh. it's completely separate from anything that I would share. Uh -huh. And I still have journals from when I was seven. Uh -huh. And they're very silly. Uh -huh. But yeah, having a sort of like tangible, a memory that you can kind of hold, uh -huh. be like, oh, here's like a past me yeah it was like a past thing that yeah. happened um so i do value that mm -hmm. and because we're in the last 10 minutes or so of the show i want to switch back to your writing now is there something else that you would be willing to share yes yes great um I'm going to read more from Stereometry, if that's okay. Whatever you'd like to share. Okay. Another little prose poem. This is from a series throughout the book called Root Expressions. We could place our tongues over all the parts that ache. Acquaint me with your scars so I can lick them from your skin and swallow them like whole flower bulbs. When I was 17, I had a panic attack while driving on the highway. The real reason I stopped taking antidepressants is sometimes too hard to say, which is as much to say that it is easy to feel ashamed. Now we tongue and scar, later spread out pieces of ourselves on the coffee table of our grandparents' living room. They are like petals, and we spend the afternoon gluing them together because we are certain something good will grow. That's beautiful. Thank you. I like that ending, because something good does grow. You know, that's one of those things that it takes us a while to believe, but the truth is, is that really hard things that we experience, the kind of things that cause scars, do change us. And those changes generally include some really big positives as well as some things that we might think, well, but it made me experience all this sadness and all that. You know, it's like, yeah. And because of that, you are a more understanding person of other people. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, I worked for a long time in crisis counseling with volunteers as the director at the Quarters Counseling Center here for a very long time. And, and over the years of experiencing different volunteers in the community and the university come in and complete a really long training program and join the staff as volunteer counselors, it became really clear that people who had some life experiences that were pretty challenging would become much better at being able to help more people because they understood stuff that some people, when it's never really touched you, you don't really understand. You can you can hear emotion from somebody, but you don't really know what it means when you haven't experienced it. And so I'm not wishing hardship on everybody, but I am saying that, you know, when I've had the worst times in my life, the people who've been most helpful have been the friends, and sometimes they weren't as close of friends before, but the friends who'd have mm. really their own struggles who got it and you know yeah. they're in a whole different way and i think that's a huge thing yeah you know? and that has been really important for me too seeking out people that i 
can really connect with and people who support me. Mm -hmm. But in terms of this idea of growth, it has, it's sort of cropped up later, mm -hmm. but this sort of thematic element of, of growth and gardening and seeds mm -hmm. and flowers mm -hmm. has been finding its way. And I think that's a really important thing that happened kind of organically. Mm -hmm. um, and so discovering that that was sort of coming through was kind of a realization to me yeah. as well. Yeah, And the growth, and in particular the growth of flowers, really resonates for me. I have this, I, I do talk about this a lot, but I love to walk on the cross-country um, trails at Pascalini Missions University. They are, um, it's all planted. So it's, so I, you know, part of it is, yeah, I'd love to walk barefoot, okay? <laughs> um, feel the earth, feel the bumps, feel that, you know, but when I, walking out there to me is about the sensory experiences of things that I smell, hearing the birds, areas where there are these little teeny creeks and hearing the water and, and there's all this, you know, feeling that whatever temperature it is, you know, the, the air on your skin and all of that stuff. But, and, and so I notice plants that are growing, changes mm -hmm. in plants. And I saw this one plant flower that I had never seen before. And it is a plant that has it grows little yellow flowers. Each flower is comprised of five petals. Every petal is shaped like a heart. Mm. It grows from, from this center where it kind of starts as a triangle, but the, the edge of the petal has that indentation that's very clear like a heart. I'd never seen that before. And I since looked it up and saw it's it's a kind of potentilla zinc foil. It's called zinc foil, which comes, I'm sure the root has five leaves because it has five five petals. Right. You know. Anyway, so I see this and I took a photograph because I, I take my phone and I take little photographs because I'd never seen this before. It's so cool. And the next time I go, that plant has been mown because they mow those areas oh. constantly. And I have never seen it any other place when I've been walking there and I've never seen it before. And I was kind of sad because it was gone. And then this past week I went and it, there it is. It's, it has come back through the soil. The roots were there This in this one place, only one place. There is this <laughs> I need beautiful to know heart flower. <laughs> yes. And I thought this is part of the miracle and beauty of nature and paying attention and what a gift that is. And so I, I do have that connection to that idea of those flowers and the meaning you know, as you were talking about. Yeah. Paying attention, yeah. And one of my big goals for this year is just to notice more. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great thing. We we use the big word mindfulness, and that's what it's really about. It's about being aware in a sensory way of what is immediately going on mm -hmm. for us with us around us, you know. And slowing down and doing that also allows us to let go of other things that are spinning around inside of us. You know, we get that break and we connect. And sometimes that is something that we didn't realize how much we needed yeah. to really be in that moment and find that beauty and, and notice things that you like. Has it always been there? You know, <laughs> exactly. walk through walk through a neighborhood in the old part of town and look up at the houses that are still pretty much intact from their historic roots. And, and you'll find these, these interesting details, you know, walking and looking at things that are growing at different times of the year. You know, just there are all these things that we don't pay very much attention to. Even things like the downtown sculptures that, that get replaced every year, new ones, you know, to really look at them and look at them from different aspects. For a long time in the previous year, one of the sculptures was by the um, judicial building between the courthouse and the judicial building on 11th Street between uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And it was these two curved red pieces. And depending on how, where you were, what orientation you had to where they were, at a certain place you look at them and it looked like a closed heart. And if you look at it from a different angle, you see the gap and it looks like something totally different, you know? And, and that kind of thing, just playing with what are those things, looking at them? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's that's good stuff for our souls. For our that's spirit, my way. Yeah. <laughs> we need those experiences. Yeah. yeah. 
So we've been talking about a lot of things, and we haven't yet mentioned that you're going to have a reading coming up this summer. Yes. Yes. I will have a reading in August, and it will be at the Raven Bookstore. I can't remember the date. It's a third it's Thursday, Thursday, August 24th at 7 p.m. It is at so, the Raven Bookstore, which will have changed ownership by that point. <laughs> yes. Danny Kane is now the owner. Starting August 1st. Wow. 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 <laughs> so this reading is, I curate for the Big Tent, but uh -huh. this is a special reading in which the curators are reading. For, Lovely. For the month. So who will you be reading with? So I will be reading with Kelly Barth, ah. Danny Kane, ah. and Denise Lowe. I think Fabulous. I should be reading. Denise Lowe is one of our wonderful writers in this community and also happens to be one of the former Poets Laureate of Kansas. And so it's really exciting. And, and Denise is another one of those examples of people who is a writer who also has a small press. She and her husband, Tom Wieso, have the press mammoth publications and they specialize in works by um, native authors, um, people of, of other groups other than white male. <laughs> yeah. And they have a, an amazing array of things that they've already published. And so it's, it's great to, to think about that, that people who not only promote and, and do and create their own work, but also are, are doing things to put other works out there. They did a, a great volume on Langston Hughes, um, the poet Langston Hughes, who had a stint of his life here in Lawrence, Kansas, and lots of great things. And her husband, Tom, is also a wonderful writer and, and painter of some of the covers of some of the works. Cool stuff. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Kelly Barth, who is delightful, delightful <laughs> writer, and has this wonderful book about her own experiences. And I tend to get the name a little wrong but it's something like my certainly real imaginary Jesus, something like that. That's not quite it. By Kelly Barth, it's a memoir about her experiences as a person who is lesbian and grew up in a Christian church and coming to terms with her faith and who she is, you know, really cool. Danny Kane will be his reading as the new owner of Raven. <laughs> and he is a delight, you know. So it's going to be, what a great set of people. I think it'll be a good be time. reading for, the, for that August 24th, 7 p.m. at Raven. The readings are free. The readings are wonderful. There's usually wine and cheese. Yeah. We'll have to see what Danny's way of doing this. Maybe it'll be different. <laughs> and and if for those people who go into the Raven, because I, I remember the first time when I was thinking about going to a reading there, it's like, where are they going to have a reading? <laughs> because it is that—that that is a wonderful store full of goodness. And after you've been to reading, what you realize is a lot of shelves on wheels. That's how they do how those they readings because things just move <laughs> out of the way temporarily. It's such a great space. It it's is. a cute little bookstore. It's a yes. of Lawrence. It is. That's where I go not only for books at times, but also when I talked about sending cards to people. I'd love That's to go I to the Raven. Too. Um, cool cards and cards with art by area artists, you know. Yes. So one of my things is support local art, support local businesses, you know. Go to that reading and be ready to buy a book. You know, Denise has several. Danny has his new chapbook out. You know, there are things that you can, can get and get signed, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, I think it's a blast. I've got a bookshelf of signed books, and I love that. <laughs> I love it, too. That's one of the perks of readings. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So um, we will tell people in the Facebook post, the Talk With Me post about this, but in case you didn't get this other, you know, if you don't see it there, Mercedes Lucero, and she has a website where you can follow her work, which is MercedesLucero.com. So check out what she's doing. Try to be there, plan to be there on Thursday, August 24th at 7 p.m. at the Raven Bookstore. And you'll hear more wonderful words from Mercedes and several other people. Thank you so much. Thank for you so this much, hour. Marcia, for having me. This was great. Me. Thank you. And so long to our listeners.